Welcome to this week's podcast from Suncoast Church. We hope that this message inspires you and helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. We hope you enjoy this message. So I want to go way back this morning. And if you're just visiting here, if this is your first time here, my name is Jono. So I'm about to let you know something about my, my family history. So we're going way back here. This is a picture of my grandfather. His name uh, was Frank James, originally Frank Cucurudo. Uh, Cucuruto, but as you can see, Aussies are no good at pronouncing Sicilian last name. So we changed it to the most Aussie name you could think of, James. Right, so anyway, the picture up, we got the picture. There it is. Hey, I know, all right? So I come from good stock. Uh, um, so <laughs> when I was a teenager, I was asking him about my, uh, you know, give me some life advice. And he said something to me that I never forgot. He said, Jonathan, important thing to remember in life is you've got to be bold and be kind. I was like, that's really good advice. So I wrote it down on a piece of paper, I stuck it up on uh, on my, on, next to my bed, so I'd read it every day, and I'm, here I am, you know, many years later, talking to you about it, 20 years later, talking to you about it. Um, and in that season of my life, when I was younger, I would just was so hungry in finding wisdom and ideas and lessons learned from generations before me, because I didn't want to make, I didn't want to have to replay the same mistakes that other people made. I wanted to learn from them, you know, you, you're the same way, you'd like to learn from people and make wise decisions in life. And when I was 14, one of the bits of advice that was handed to me, or at least one of the questions I was challenged with, we can take that picture off because everyone's been mega tempted and distracted right now from his pectorials, right? let's be honest, um, is I was challenged with this question at 14 years of age. And the question was, what do I see myself being like as, and I was 14 at this stage, what do I see 40-year-old Jono as being like? 40-year-old. And I was challenged, it, was, it is not far, I know, it's like five years, dear God. Um, so what does 40-year-old Jono look like? Now at 14, you might think that's the most bizarre thing to think of, and it was, because I mean, if you're a teenager here, or if you're a parent of teenagers, and the rest of you, you've been a teenager, okay, or you're not yet a teenager, the last thing you're thinking about when you're 14 is what you are going to be like when you're 40. Now, when I saw that picture of my grandfather, at least I had a picture of one of what it to look like when I was 40, right? Until I found out that he was like 19 when that picture was taken. So I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> Season passed, you know, <laughs> better luck next time. So, but I was really challenged. What, what, was the, what, what kind of man did I want to be when I was 40? And more than my looks, but more so who I was becoming, my character, what kind of father one day that I want to be, what kind of husband did I want to be one day, what kind of reputation did I want to have one day. And so at 14, and I'll never forget it, this question gripped me. And it gripped me so much <laughs> that, that future Jono started to hold sway over my former present Jono, if that makes sense, right? And, it's, and that question about the man I wanted to be started to so radically impact the decisions I was making in the present and in the moment. And let me tell you this, former Jono, Jono back then, he was not very impressed that future Jono was meddling in his business, right? Because present Jono back then had desires and present Jono had wants and present Jono had passions, right? But then future Jono came along and started messing with it. Now, as much as present Jono back then wasn't impressed that future Jono impeded, present Jono today is very glad that future Jono got involved in present Jono back then. Are you with me? Are you still with me? So, so based off base of that idea, I want to ask us a question today. And last week we began this series on Wish You Were Here. And so our whole idea of, you know, how do we get from where we are to where we wish we were? 
And again, on, uh, if you're joining us online, I'm so glad that you're here joining us today. You're very welcome. Last week, we opened with the question, what does, what does God wish for us? What does God wish for us? And I think it was a really important question to begin the series with. And because our lives, if we, we often take stock of them, particularly at the start of a year, can often see the insurmountable problems that have bombarded your life. Well, God doesn't define you by your problems. He sees your potential. And so we broke that down and asked the question, what does God wish for me? Well, to follow that up, the question I want to ask you today, and here's the question I want to ask me as well, is what does future me wish for me? What does future you wish for you? And a future you and a future me was given a microphone today and given the chance to talk into your life. And with down the track, as I was a 14-year-old thinking about 40-year-old Jono, if whatever age you put on you down the track had a chance to talk to you, what would they say to you right now? And what would their wishes be for you right now? What decisions do they wish you were making? What habits do they wish you were putting in place? What things do they wish you wouldn't say? What people do they wish you wouldn't hang with? What would their, what would future you wish for you? Now, this is kind of a weird spin and play on the idea of, we often get asked, if you could talk to your former self, you know, what would you say to them? You'd pass some advice, you'd say, you know, don't judge yourself too harshly, you know, be patient with yourself, be kind of, take more risks. We often do that. But this is a, this is a flip on it. It's more asking something based on you know, your wishes for your life and what your ambition and your dreams are and your hopes and aspirations, what do you think future you would say you need to do with what you have been given now? Now, the tricky thing about this is, and if, you've, if maybe you found this to be true, and we, we touched on this last week, it seems to be very easy to articulate our wishes for others. And you and I can easily verbalize and relay the wishes that we have for other people. We can identify those in our life, whether it's our spouse or our kids or our parent, our neighbor, our employees. If they would ask you, hey, you know, if you'd ask them, do you have any wishes for me? I guarantee they would have a list longer than anything you could ever imagine. Say, yes, here are my wishes for you, right? If you have a roommate, you'd be like, man, I just wish you would clean up after yourself. Maybe for your kids, if they ask, mom and dad. You know, what are your wishes for me? You'd be like, I just wish you would stop hanging with those people. Every time you hang with them, they pull you down or whatever it might be. You know, it's your spouse. If you, I'm telling you, if you're curious about someone else's wishes for you, ask your spouse. I guarantee you they will tell you straight away at least a hundred things that they wish for you, right? Now, here's the thing. This doesn't come from a bad place. We usually have wishes for other people because we love them, right? And we touched on this last week. We see their potential and we go, if only you could see what I see in your life, maybe you wouldn't do that or maybe you would do this. It's easy for us to identify our wishes for others. But it seems to be much harder for us to admit where we should be. And we can look at other, someone else's life and we see maybe where they're not you know, hitting it out of the park and making wise decisions. We go, I wish you would just get on board with that. Why does it seem to be so much harder for you and I to admit where we should be? And there's a tension we all live in. And I didn't invent this tension. It's certainly not the first time you've heard this. In fact, I'm just highlighting something that you definitely know. You're smart, so you get this. Our lives constantly live seemingly in the tension of the present, filled with its desires and ambitions and appetites, our wants, right? Lives between the tension of our present and our future. And the dreams and aspirations that we have for our future. And right there, our life lives in the middle of those two tensions. 
And if you think about decisions you're making, you're constantly tempted with this whole idea of, I have desire right now, I have things in the moment that feel good and I want to do, and they're not necessarily bad, they indeed might be very good. But then you have your aspirations, your hopes, your dreams, your wishes for who you're becoming and for your life and what you want. And so every decision you have is sandwiched in this tension about our desire in the moment and our dream for the future. And I wonder what future you wishes you and I would do while we live in this tension. Now, Jesus himself, being a master at life, he spoke directly into this tension in our lives. And what I want to do today is look at the final thing he taught his disciples before he was arrested, the night of his arrest and then subsequent crucifixion, the last thing he taught his disciples. And he spoke right into this tension. What's amazing about this, at the moment he knew it was coming, he went to a garden called Gethsemane. You can still visit the garden um, just at the foot of the Mount of Olives outside of the old city of Jerusalem. It's an amazing place to visit. And he asked his disciples if they would just wait one hour and pray with him. And Jesus went off to pray by himself. He came back and he saw all of his disciples had fallen, fallen asleep. They were out snoring, right? And so Jesus comes and sees them all sleeping. And this is what he says to them. What he says next is so, so profound. And if you're someone who isn't normally in church and someone who's not even sure where you kind of sit with the God, God thing, and if you believe in Jesus, you're going to find that what Jesus taught you, whether you're a believer or not, it's he explains the human condition so perfectly and it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. So he finds the disciples sleep and here's what he says. He said, guys, watch and pray, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit, come on, say this word with me. The Spirit is willing, willing but the flesh is weak. is weak. Couldn't have said it any more clearly that we can have a willingness, we can have a wish for our future, our hopes, our ambition, our drives, our desires, the, part, the future part of you that's going, I'm willing, I'm willing to be that person, I'm willing to go there, I'm willing to make that commitment, I'm willing to make those sacrifices. And Jesus called it out in one sentence. He said, but there's a big problem. The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. He didn't say it's evil. He didn't say it's bad. He just says, you're a human. And part of being a human is you're not perfect at everything. You're weak at stuff. You're not Superman and no one's asking you to be. And Jesus, and we're going to find it, the solution is we're going to dig into this this morning. There's an incredible solution for all of us to apply. He recognizes that there is this there's temptation in our life. And he says this, the reason is because your life lives in the middle of what you're willing to do, what your hopes and wishes are, and the reality of your flesh. And your flesh isn't always up to scratch. You're human. We make mistakes. We have desires and it's weak. And the issue with our weaknesses is if we're not careful with them and if we don't make wise decisions with our weaknesses, we will always be at risk of having our weaknesses sabotage our wishes for our future. And future you would wish that you would pay attention and future me would wish that I would pay attention to where I am weak and to acknowledge it. Because when you acknowledge it, then you're able to take first, your first step to be able to do something about it. And Jesus understood that the gravitational pull towards our weaknesses in life, he had a word for it, temptation, right? He says, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus labeled that tension, temptation. So my question for you on the second Sunday of 2020, wherever you stand 
in your relationship with God right now, whether non-existent, whether hanging by a thread or whether flourishing and growing stronger, is do you have a battle plan or a strategy when it comes to how you deal with temptation in your life? Because it's there. It's not going to disappear magically. And Jesus put it perfectly. He said, you're in a body. You got flesh. And the flesh, it's weak. You can't rely on it. You can't always depend on yourself. And the problem is, he says, is there is this issue known as temptation. Now, it's worth knowing this, that the, the big issue than that temptation exists, the issue Jesus was pointing out is when you fall into it. And you can often, you can often never even have a chance to overcome it because you can maybe struggle with guilt, that you even feel tempted with something. But here's the thing. As long as you are in a human body, temptation will be a real thing. The problem isn't temptation. The problem is falling into temptation. So if you're trying to find some magic pills so you're never tempted again, it's called no longer living in a human body. Okay, but Jesus warned against falling into temptation. And it's that very thing I want to speak in today. And I, wish it, I think it's something that our future selves wishes we would pay attention to. Now, first thing first, it's worth noting that in our context, in our culture, just saying the word temptation, doesn't it just have instantly like this negative connotation to it? It's why I went really quiet in the room as soon as you saw the word temptation on the screen, right? Because we're like, oh, it's temptation. Like this is a bad thing, right? Funnily enough, in the context Jesus was teaching in, and in fact, all through the New Testament, they all spoke Greek. Greek was the dominant word of the, the area of the world where a lot of the New Testament events happened. The word temptation was used synonymously with the word testing, to be tested, almost like sitting down and being in an exam condition. And so we often see this whole idea of I'm tempted, I'm tempted, as like a, it's only purely negative. The truth is it's more like exam conditions, as if to say when a temptation comes, it, it's like classes in session or it's a chance for you to pass the test, right? Now think of it this way. I remember when, when I was in university, there, and I'm not sure it might still be around these days, but when I was in university, there was this saying, peas get degrees, it's still there? Okay, thank great, great to know. Great moustache, by the way. I can see it from the platform. That's a good thing. Um, and so, so, but I'm telling you, when I heard that, I thought, oh, it's funny, funny, funny. Until I thought, geez, I hope my doctor didn't get through uni with that attitude. <laughs> Particularly if they're opening you up with a scalpel. Oh, I just scraped through uni, you know. So no, no, I want a bit more of that. But here's the thing, right? You go in exam conditions. You get tested to see if you make the cut. No pun intended, right? You go through, te- you go through a testing to see, can you be trusted? So every line of work or every profession will have testing and examination to see if you've done the work, if you have passed the test. And so what I want you to do, what I want you to do when it comes to temptation, just for this morning, I want you for a moment to put on hold maybe the negative connotation you have about temptation. And every time it comes up, maybe you get overwhelmed with senses of guilt or, oh, well, great, I'm always tempted. I want you to stop that for a moment. I want you to think in terms of being tested. And every time you've been tested, it's a chance for you to win. And every time you sit in a test and you don't pass a test, you know where you got it wrong. And so you go, that's where I need to study for next time so I can get it right. Right, now here's the thing. Jesus himself, this is so important to understand. Jesus himself was the master at overcoming temptation. In fact, at the start of Jesus' ministry, the first time Jesus as a man turns up on our, our pages in the New Testament where his ministry began, before he preached any sermon, before he uh, did any incredible miracles, Jesus was led into the wilderness, into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights where he did not eat or drink and he was tempted by the devil himself. 
with every temptation known to man who was tempted with, yet he did not succumb to one of them. He overcame them. Now, here's the, here's the, the crazy thing, right? Jesus didn't end up in that place of being tempted in the wilderness because he'd done something wrong. He'd ended up in a place of testing of temptation because he'd done everything right. And it was an inevitable step, almost like a graduation had to be taken for him to step into the new season of influence and ministry that his heavenly father had for him. In fact, when you read the account of the tempting of Jesus, uh, at least two of the, new, of, of the gospel accounts say that he was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted. As if it was to say that God recognizes that for you and I, in an area that we're weak in, you can determine to get stronger in that area. And sometimes you have to go through seasons where the test happens and you can graduate the test. And Jesus, He showed that He could pass the test. He graduated every single temptation with flying colours, did not succumb to one of them. And so He graduated into a brand new season of life where God was able to radically use Him and to see His influence. Now, what would your future self wish that you would do with your temptations? And what would your future self wish that you would pay attention to about the areas that you are weak in life? And it'd be easy to say, well, just remove all temptations from me. And that'll be the, no, no, no. Remember, Jesus ran into the temptations. In fact, God led Jesus into temptations in order to show that he could overcome them. Now, I've learned this in a profound new way as a father. So my daughter, bless her soul. She is th- just turned three this week. Beautiful Willa. Um, so, you know, she has temptations in areas. She's a human being. So we, you know, when she plays at home during the day, we, we try and let her have as much independent play as she can. We don't want to always be dependent on us entertaining her and all these things. So we make sure she's got like, you know, things that she can draw and books she can read. So we'll often let her just leave her be so she can use her own creativity and, and play by herself and, and mature in those areas. And so, you know, we'll be off doing our thing. We can usually hear her tinking around and drawing this and singing to herself and humming away. But every now and again, house gets a little too quiet. And we know straight away, because our daughter is tempted. And we know where she is weak. That girl is obsessed with her mother's lipstick. And she knows if she can get us sufficiently distracted doing something else, it's free reign. Now, here's the thing. It is so hilarious. It's like I was, t- I was tempted to show footage today of an event that happened this week, but I love my wife and respect her far too much to show her. It's one of those moments where you know when you, you just want to get your kid busted, but it's far too funny, and so you're hiding the laughter where you're like, but you're like, it was one of those moments. It's the most brilliant footage. Anyway, so, so here's the thing. There could be the chance, well, here's the problem. You know, she's tempted in this area. She always does a horrible job putting makeup on. Let's just remove makeup from her, right? But our goal as parents is not to remove temptation from her. Now, I'm not saying don't remove danger from her. Like, as parents, that is our responsibility. Move danger away, you know, make sure it's a kid-friendly house. But here's the thing. We're not trying to sugarcoat our child. She grows up not knowing how to deal with temptation. We recognize inside of her, there's ability for her to overcome temptation. We want her to grow in her ability to understand in areas where she is weak, she can learn to become stronger, right? We want her to learn that she has what it takes to show self-control. We want her to grow up to learn that she can overcome temptation. And if she can learn to do it with like, menial things like lipstick, maybe she'll learn how to do with bigger things like her words. 
or even deeper things. And in the same way, right, when it comes to areas of temptation, stop viewing them simply as evil and horrible. They are opportunities for you and I to grow and for you and I to recognize that maybe future me and future you are saying, I wish you would grab a hold of weaknesses in your life and recognize them that this is an area where you're tempted in and we can do something about us so your weakness will not sabotage the potential of your future. And far too many times our lives and our potential and our futures can be sabotaged because we let let our weakness win. And maybe your future self would say, would you pay attention to the words of Jesus? Because he recognizes that we're human and we have weakness. And the very fact that Jesus called that out wasn't to condemn us. It was to help us identify an area where you and I can grow. In fact, this is such a big deal. This is written all through the New Testament. In fact, almost every single New Testament writer specifically addresses this area of human weakness and temptation. Even the brother of Jesus wrote explicitly about it. And you can find it in his epistle in the New Testament. This is what James writes about this particular issue. He says, in verse 11 of his first chapter, he says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. And again, this word trial was used, is used interchangeably with temptation in this language. It says, Blessed is the one who perseveres because... Having stood the test, you, well, you could have sat the test and written it, but you get the idea, right? Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And even James understood this, this, this thing here, that when it comes to our temptations, if we can learn to overcome them, if we can learn to face our weaknesses head on and overcome them, he says on the other side of that, on the oversight of passing the test, of standing the test, there is a reward. Now, could, and you've got to understand this is so important and it's going to help you. We often think in terms of temptation in the negative, where if I fall into it, there's punishment. If I fall into it, if I give in, there's punishment. James isn't saying that. You already know, falling into temptation, you don't have to be punished by anyone. Your decision is punishing enough of you, right? Because you're falling into temptation. James is saying this, when you learn, to overcome and persevere through a test, through a trial, through a temptation. There is so much reward on the other side. And if you can stare some of your weaknesses in the face, and I get, I bet your future you is going, if you would look at your weaknesses, the areas where you are weak, and put in the words of Jesus into practice and overcome in these areas, there is a crown for your life. There is going to be, and if you're someone here and you've ever overcome a temptation and there's been an area where you've been weak in, and an area where you've struggled in and you've come out the other end, you'd be able to say 100% there is a crown of life. I, mean, I was in bondage by that. I was in bondage by this. That temptation had the better of me. When I learned to overcome it, I found there was a crown of life waiting for me and I have no regrets, right? And another way that's saying this, overcoming temptation, this is what James is saying. It is a gateway to God entrusting you and me with more. And if you and I can learn in those areas, and again, remember, we often think temptation, oh, this is bad, I'm going to avoid it. No, no, it could be the gateway because you're tempted in areas where you're weak in because you're human. And you get the chance to recognize that you don't have to let weakness win in your life. It's there. Jesus called it out because we're human. But if you can learn to overcome temptation, it is a gateway to your life being trusted with more. And maybe... Your future, you are saying, man, there is so much that God wants to trust you with. There is so much potential in your life that you could be trusted with. There is so much in store for you. And if you determine to not let weakness have the final say in your life, there is a crown waiting for you. 
Now, here's the thing. Again, some of you, you might not even be bought into the, 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 the Jesus side of this message, or the, you, know, you might not believe in God, and so you're looking at this going, whoa, like, this is a full-on teaching. You didn't have to be a Christian to understand this, right? You didn't have to be a Christian to put in place the wisdom that Jesus is saying here. And here's, here's how Jesus puts it. We're going to go back to what he taught because he gives us now a solution to confronting this weakness. And here's what he says. Let's read it again. He points out that the spirit is willing, right? You have these wishes, these desires for your future. But he says, it's the flesh that's weak. Okay, so he wasn't condemning us. He was just, he was giving a true picture of the tension you and I live in. But remember, he was his solution at the beginning. He said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, the pray part, we won't deal with that yet. We're going to deal with the watch part first. So if you're someone here that's not a Christian, you don't believe in God, and you're like, the pray part, you lost me. That's okay. You can sideline that in a few minutes when we get there. But the watch part, this is for everyone. So Jesus said, here's the first big bit of help for you and I that I think future me and future you wishes we would pay attention to. It's to watch. To watch the areas where we're weak. Watch for who? Watch for what? Watch for you. We can often be on the watch for every other person and we have opinions and we have wishes and desires for everyone else. But Jesus is saying, are you watching out for you? Are you keeping watch over what's happening in your life and what's happening on the inside of you. And I think that this point gets driven home. And as soon as Jesus teaches this, the, this whole mob of soldiers and men come to arrest Jesus in the dark. He's there praying with his disciples. He shares this, watch and pray lest you fall into temptation. And all these men come with swords and clubs. Judas betrays Jesus. He gets arrested. And immediately the men, the men who couldn't even stay awake with Jesus, they immediately turn to violence. One of them pulls out a sword to defend Jesus, chops off the ear of one of the soldiers there. And Jesus immediately rebukes the action. He says, stop that. I'm not looking for an army. I'm not looking for soldiers. I'm not looking for just another political party that's going to push back in the same way the rest of the world pushes back. And Jesus says an absolute rebuke. He says, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. A huge critique of violence. And then Jesus picked up the guy's ear and placed it back on his head and healed him. Amazing, right? It's in your Bible. You can have a read of it. You're like, why is that in there? Because it happened. And they just wrote down what happened. But here's the thing. Jesus was so much more concerned, not about whether the men with him could wield swords, whether they were great soldiers, great warriors, whether they were competent, whether they were talented. He cared far more about what was happening inside of us. And we touched on this last week. Jesus cares about what's happening on the inside of you. Jesus cares about what's taking place where our character sits. And he said, are you watching out for you, your character? Um, don't talk about whether you're a good soldier or not and a good fighter, whether you're competent. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in what's happening inside of you. And here's the point. I think future you and future me would say to us that the biggest threat to our future is in weaknesses in our competencies, but in our character. And the biggest temptation, the biggest impact that temptation or falling to temptation will have on our future isn't whether or not we're strong in our competencies. It's whether or not we're strong in our character. And I have a hunch, I'm suspicious that you do too, that a future you was to talk to you right now, it would say, would you keep watch over your character? 
So here's the thing. No one's going to pay you for that. But plenty of people will pay you to work on your competencies. In fact, most employees, employers do just that, right? They'll pay you to get better at your job. They'll pay you to get educated more. They want you to get better at what you're good at, right? At your competencies. They'll send you to uni. People will pay you for that. No one will pay you to work on your character. No one will reward you for good character, but they certainly will punish you if you lack it, right? They'll fire you. They'll leave you. They'll criticize you. So Jesus is in your corner. And Jesus is saying, hey, come on. No one else is going to be watching out for your character. So you got to. Are you keeping watch of you? Here's the thing about, okay, here's the thing about character. Competence. Yeah, competence will definitely leave a great first impression. But character is what leaves a lasting impression. And your future, you would say, be more determined to build strong character than just your competencies. Here's the thing. Competency will get you in the room. You know this, character will keep you in the room. The ancients put it this way. King Solomon said in Proverbs 22 verse 1, he said, a good name is to be chosen far above great riches. So more than stuff and having more and being talented and popular, he says, choose a good name, a good reputation. Choose to be a man, a woman of character. Are you keeping watch over you? Now, this whole idea of to watch, right? This term was almost like a, a guarding term that Jesus was using, to watch, to stand guard, or to have defenses over your life, right? He's saying, uh, do you have defenses over the area where you are weak in your life? What does he mean by that? My take is this, and I think you probably agree. He's referring to disciplines. Do you have disciplines in the areas of your life where you have identified that you are weak? Do you have disciplines? Now, I'm not going to go over familiar territory here because if you've been around here any length of time, I often talk about different disciplines and areas, but I want to talk to you in terms of being a defense in your life and defense to areas where you want to be intentional that your weaknesses do not have the final say in your life. So remember this, okay? Jesus just caught it. You're human, you got weakness. Weaknesses doesn't mean you're evil. Weaknesses doesn't mean you're rebellious. Weakness does not mean you're out to get God and get the world. Weakness means you're human and you're alive, okay? So Jesus is saying, so the solution for this, at least 50% of it is to keep watch. Do you have disciplines over the areas where you are weak, in your life. Because here's the thing. If you don't have any disciplines, you don't know how you're doing. Let me say that again. If you don't have any disciplines, you don't know how you're doing in those areas. For instance, if you think, I don't have a problem with food and eating, try to be disciplined and see if you stick to it. You might go, actually, I do. Right? Let me go a bit deeper. If, you, if someone's hinted to you about your drinking, you go, I don't have any problems with drinking. Try and put some disciplines in place and see if you can stick to it. Because then you quickly go, oh, actually, I couldn't stick to them. Maybe, maybe I am weak. When it comes to boundaries in areas of life, yeah, I'm fine with that. Try stick to them. Unless you have disciplines, you don't know how you're doing. When you try to stick to a discipline, it gives you an honest, it gives you a test on actually how you're doing. Let me give an example, okay? There are, um, I am well aware of many, not all, I have blind spots like the rest of us, but I'm well aware of where areas where I am weak in my life and I don't hide from them. I hunt them down. 
Like I put like a target on me. I'm coming for you because I refuse to let my weaknesses have the final say in my life. Future me, way back when, said, Jono, don't let him win. So I was like, okay, future me, I'll do that. So I've got intentional disciplines as defenses in the areas where I'm weak. So I'll give you just four of them. I have many more, but I don't want to bore you with them all. So I'll give you just four. One, I start pretty much every single day. At least it's what I try to do. It's a discipline. I spend an hour alone in solitude with God. I read my Bible and I pray. And here's the thing. I know what kind of man I am when I don't do that. My wife knows what kind of man I am when I don't do that. And she can tell when I haven't done that. And she'll say to me some mornings, you spend time with God, you know, go back to your room, you know, because cause these are areas where I'm weak. And so I, and I'm not using an excuse. I'm like, I can either, oh, it's just man, you marry Chloe, I'm weak there. I'm like, no, it's a stupid excuse. And I realize, I need, but you know, when I spend time and I bring my weaknesses before God, I spend time praying. Okay, another one. I have, I have discipline when it comes to my diet. And again, this is for the Christians in the room. Our food can sometimes be like a Christian drug. We can turn to it for comfort. If you're at home watching online, eating like Krispy Kremes or something, God bless you, you know. But, but so here's the thing. I know where I'm weak. I know where I'm weak. So I've got discipline. So there's certain things that I only eat and drink on my weekend. I won't touch it during the week because I know where I'm weak. So I have disciplines. And at times I go, I'm not doing well because I haven't stuck to my disciplines. Um, I have a bedtime where I go to bed at night and I stick to it because I'm weak. Several hours can pass doing nothing, watching nothing. Like, and then I've lost sleep. And then I didn't get up in early, early in the morning to do what I need to do. So I have disciplines because I know I'm weak. Um, I think, oh, and I exercise regularly just because I love eating food so much. So it balances it out, right? So, <laughs> but here's the thing. I have, I have disciplines because disciplines are taking proactive steps to not become a victim of our weaknesses. And you don't have to let your weakness win. In future, you would say, don't let your weakness win. So my question is, do you have disciplines for the areas in your life where you are weak? And it's not to shame you, but quite the opposite. This is so you can overcome this. Disciplines might be having people in your life that you can be open and transparent with. I've got friends and people in my life, peers and people above me who I can be transparent and open with where I'm weak. I'm telling you, it's so helpful. That's why I encourage people to be in connect groups and small groups, because you're a human. I'm a human and we need each other. Now, I could have said all that and, you know, that might be practically practical. Practically practical. Yeah, I'll work with it. Okay, great. But it might have just maybe frustrated you more than ever before. And go, great, you're just reminding all the areas where I'm not disciplined in and I'm very frustrated and I can't get all this done. Now I feel worse than I when I arrived in this morning. Just reminding me of all my weaknesses and where I tried all these disciplines. It's already the second week of January. I've given up on all the gym classes and everything already. Thanks, Jono. Right? But luckily for you, that's only half of the equation. In fact, not even that. Remember what Jesus said. He said, I want you to watch and pray. Watch and pray, lest you fall into temptation. Now, this is amazing. If you think about it, when you and I confront our weakness and we become readily aware of an area where we are weak, if you're anything like me, the last thing you feel like doing is having anything to do with God because it's like, I'm weak here. I've just given into temptation. And if you feel like that, I'm with you, right? And so the, the first thing we usually want to do is run away from God and have nothing to do with Him. 
And maybe you're someone here this morning. It's why you haven't been in church for a long time. It's maybe why you've avoided religion altogether or belief in God, because you've had this idea that I'm weak, so clearly some perfect God wouldn't want anything to do with me. And he's, and can I just say, I totally get that, because there's often this perception about religion and the heart of God towards humanity, that it's, it's really espoused that way, and that you have to feel ashamed about where you're weak, and that somehow you're evil because of it. No one needs to tell you that, or you already feel bad enough for it. But Jesus says something here, and Jesus gives an invitation. I'm telling you, if you get this, and if you've never got this before, this is enough to change your life forever and future you would say to you, hey, pay attention to this part. This could be a game changer for you. Jesus said, watch and pray. In other words, he's saying, don't run away from God. Go to God. Where you're weak, bring your weakness to God. And the reason we can bring our weakness to God is this, why we might be weak, God is not weak. God is strong. And in the areas, and yeah, I, if there's something worth clapping about, that is a point to clap right there. Okay, because here's the great hope of the Christian. Here's the great hope that we have of Jesus. It's that God recognises that you and I are flesh and bone, that we are weak. And so on our behalf, Jesus with God in a body, walked in human flesh. And so that you and I wouldn't have to live with the burden and the weight of our weakness and our sin, as it's called, Jesus died on the cross, someone who never gave in to sin. And He took the burden and the weight of our sin on Him. So you and I wouldn't have to feel separated from God, that you can now know that there is nothing that separates you and I from God. Your weakness won't separate you from God. I'm telling you, your sin won't separate you from God. Where you struggle doesn't separate from you from God. Temptation and that separate you from God. Jesus says, watch, put disciplines in your life and pray. Those areas of your life where you're weak, bring it to God. God cares for you. And God doesn't want weaknesses to win in your life. And God doesn't want weaknesses to have the final say in your life. He recognizes that you're human. So God says, hey, baby, I am here to help. Why are you keeping me in the closet? Bring me out, bring it to the light. If you keep your weakness in the darkness, it'll grow. When you bring it to the light, it is destroyed, right? We need to learn to bring a weakness to God. And man, I have a hunch, and I think you do too, that future you wishes that you would do just that. In fact, you know, we, this is good news for even us, but the whole gospel message, how Jesus began this, this was good news to those who first encountered it. And those who first encountered it were the Jews. And Jewish Christians couldn't believe how incredible this was because the Jewish people had this massive religious kind of uh, rituals they have to abide by to, to have their sins forgiven from them and the weight of their sin taken. So they had a high priest and every year the high priest who was appointed would go to a tent, which is known as the tabernacle. And inside of that tent was another tent called the Holies of Holies and it represented the presence of God on earth. And so part of their religious ritual, the high priest would go in there once a year, would uh, sacrifice an animal for the sins of the people and for his sins. And that would have to be done every single year. But when Jesus came, he came as the high priest for the whole world. And see, often what you'll see in the Old Testament, it's a shadow of what was to come through Jesus. And so the high priest that would have to make a sacrifice every year was the shadow of the ultimate high priest who would come for the whole world and who would make a sacrifice once and for all. And that was his own life, the perfect life, Jesus. And because of that sacrifice, you and I can now bring our weakness to God. And to those people, much of the New Testament was written and there's a book specifically written in the New Testament to, he to Jewish Christians. It's called Hebrews. And in, in one of the chapters in there, which we're gonna read right now, there's a perfect way to land this message. It explains this so perfectly 
about how you and I can face our weakness in the face and get all the help that we could ever want. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, right? Because Jesus walked among us. He wore a body of skin. He gets your weakness. He gets your temptation. He can sympathize. He can empathize with you. We don't have a high priest who's unable to do that. Go on. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he stood the test. He did not sin. So then, that's what Jesus did. Here's what we can do. Let us approach God, approach God, approach God's throne of grace with confidence. When was the last time when you fell into temptation, you felt confident to approach God? This is what Scripture tells us to do. You don't have to go shy or timid or guilty or ashamed. It says, go confident. I'm not confident. I'm weak in this area. Yeah, we're not confident because we've got it sorted out. We're confident because we know that God is strong. We know that God is faithful. Says so, so go to God's throne of greater confidence. This is the kicker. So that you and I may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you need help? In the areas where you're weak in, do you need help? Because your heavenly Father has all the help of heaven at His dispatch. And Jesus would say, hey, come on, watch. Take, you know, do what you gotta do. Put some disciplines in your life and do do it. Watch and pray. Go to God. When you go to God, you learn that you will receive not judgment, come on, not condemnation. God is not there to, punish you and make you feel horrible for it. What He offers is mercy and what He offers is grace to help us in our time of need. Maybe you're someone that doesn't usually consider yourself a Christian or even believe in God and you have been trying to find help in so many different areas. Maybe your spouse has been just going, you are weak in these areas. You need to sort this out. Our marriage is on the rocks or whatever it might be in your life. And you're there going, I've tried everything and you're here now and you found yourself in church somehow. Here's the good news for you. When you, you don't have to figure this out. You don't have to get strong in this area. You literally just need to go, God, here's no weakness. See what you can do with it. He has all the grace of heaven for you. He loves you. He sees you. And you don't have to let your weakness win. Heavenly Father, today I am so grateful that you offer us grace. And so today, maybe against what feels natural and normal, we now come with confidence because of the invitation of Jesus. And I'm praying for everyone here this morning. It maybe feels like weakness has been getting the better of them. My prayer is simple this morning, that they would themselves receive grace to help them in their time of need. That you're strong enough, that you're faithful, that they can come confidently and boldly to you. Pray all condemnation, or judgment be lifted off people and that we would pay attention more than ever before to the words of Jesus here. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be people of the Spirit who would lean into where we're willing to what we wish for 
not simply people who are led by our weaknesses and our flesh. Thank you for your grace over every life here today, for your encouragement and for people overcoming temptation. I pray for those, maybe temptation has kept having the final say in their life. I pray that 2020, that this would be the year that temptation is overcome, that they would stand the test in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by what you heard and inspired to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more details, check out suncoast.org.au. Hope you can join us again on the next podcast or here at Suncoast Church.